Welcome to the Rising Laterally podcast. Each episode, you will learn something fascinating so you can bring big ideas to your small talk. Your growth is our growth. Listening to these episodes, subscribing to our weekly newsletter, engaging our posts on social media, and sharing our show with your friends and family is deeply appreciated as we work hard to expand this platform. You can also visit our page at buymeacoffee.com to contribute what you think the show is worth. To the folks who are taking this step, we can't thank you enough. Look for the link in our show notes for more details about how you can support and follow us. And now, please enjoy this episode. Episode 63. How you doing, Arjun? I'm doing great. Happy nice. Monday, buddy. Well, we've talked a lot about being the node over the course of Rising Laterally. If you've been tuning in for the last year and a half or so, probably heard to say it once or twice. I actually first encountered this concept of the node when I was working at a graph database company a year and a half ago, uh, Tiger Graph here in Redwood City, great company. I actually think graph databases and graph analytics are pretty fascinating. What differentiates them from more conventional databases, which typically organize information in tabular form, so that sort of like row column format that you might see in an Excel spreadsheet, graph databases are actually organized as these massive networks of nodes and edges. So entities and relationships between those entities. They're kind of like giant spider webs of information. I think one of the easiest applications you can think of to conceptualize the graph structure would be the social networks like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those are built on graphs. If I'm on Instagram and I have 100 followers, then my profile is one node with 100 edges branching off of it that connect me to other profiles, which are themselves nodes too. So Dwayne Johnson, for example, slightly more popular than myself. He's still just one node, but with 240 million edges connecting him to other profiles that are following him because he has 240 million followers. So really the, the most powerful thing about structuring data this way and thinking in this way is that it allows you to connect dots between entities which seem to have no immediate relationship. That's kind of the killer app here. So for example, one of my best friends growing up was Johannes Wesselhoft. Still a very good friend. You, Arjun, don't have any immediate relationship with Johannes. You've never talked to him. You've never lived in any of the same states. You've never gone to any of the same schools. But looking at a graph database, you can see, whoa, even though this Arjun guy and this Johannes guy don't have any direct relationship, they're only two degrees of separation away from each other by way of this guy, Jay Ballou. So even though they have no direct relationship, they're much more connected than is readily observable. So the graph databases have all kinds of use cases around this from like customer journey to recommendation engine to internet of things all the way to any money laundering and cybersecurity. But getting back to this idea of being the node, which we've been talking about, I think we've been using it in the context of striving to bring people and ideas together, trying to play that role of connector in the world, uh, which I think everyone has the capacity to do at different points in their lives. But I'll, I'll turn to you, Arjun. What does being the node bring to mind for you? So this topic actually gets me thinking about connecting the dots with Dunbar's number, our networks, which is something you just talked about, and the concept of giving. Earlier, you mentioned um, social networks are built on graph databases. I'd also argue social networks also take into account Dunbar's number. So I wanted mm. to start with that. Um, yeah. It's been coming up frequently in our conversations, and this year marks 30 years since Robin Dunbar calculated 150 
as the approximate figure for a natural group size for humans. And as, as he put it, it started when he was pondering a graph of primate group sizes plotted against the size of their brains. The larger the brain, the larger the group size. He was curious to know what group size this relationship might predict for humans. The number his calculations gave was 150. Mm. He thought that was too low. So he went to the library and he started to collect more data on natural human group sizes. He noticed hunter-gatherers and how they lived in multi-level societies with groupings of individuals forming layered structures, families within bands, bands within communities, and communities within tribes. The community level of organization turned out to be almost exactly 150. So that's how the social brain hypothesis and Dunbar's number were born. The social brain hypothesis referring to the relationship between group size and brain size in primates and Dunbar's number referring to the natural group size of about 150 for humans. And these are quality relationships, which is different than acquaintances. And I would say is different than if you add in that social network effect, which you were talking about, which might boost your number of relationships closer to 500 because of that effect of the social network. But in your community, you're looking at 150. You think about your romantic relationships. You have people who can call and vent to, or there'll be a shoulder to cry on, or maybe they're an extra pair of hands if you want to go move something. Then you have your core social friends who you want to go out and have fun with. Then you have people that you hang out with on weekends. Then you have the people that you're going to invite to something like your wedding or a, a massive event, which is around 150. Mm. And all of those rings of the funnel, funnel are always changing and moving in and out of our lives. And all of those relationships are somehow affecting all of our other relationships, which I find fascinating. Whether or not these people stay in your orbit or not, they are a piece of your relationships and what you're doing with future relationships. So to your point, with Johannes, we're actually LinkedIn friends now. So maybe we're closer than mm. two degrees of separation, right? right. <laughs> um, but it's like, even if we have social media in our lives, I think more people are trying to figure out like, how to balance by being more active about trying to understand who they are, who they know, how they can help them, and how they might want to interact with them in the future. And I think it's a sign of maturity if you're going through that process right now. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you hit on there too was that there's consequences to your decisions and how you interact with people. Like that can ripple out into those networks, both right now and in the future as your networks continue to evolve. And that idea reminds me of a point Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychologist, brought up in one of his lectures uh, where he encouraged people to remember, always try to remember that they are a node in the human network. As he says, it's tempting to think, well, I'm just one person on a planet of 7 billion people. What I do if my life doesn't really matter that much. But if you shift your perspective and realize, to your point, hey, over the course of my lifetime, you know, I might know a thousand people as that 150 continues to evolve and they'll know a thousand people, then over the course of my life, I'm just one person away from a million people. And I'm just two persons away from a billion people. So you're connected in this much, much larger system. And as, as he points out, you can't really even ever fully comprehend how the actions you take can ripple out into the world around you because the world is so big and you just never know where that 
action you make in your immediate network, how that will affect someone worlds away. And I remember when I first heard that, I just thought that was a pretty inspiring take. And it made me realize that there's serious weight to our lives from the standpoint of how our actions ripple out into the network around us. I would agree with that. And to linger on the networking a little bit, when it comes to my network, I've been thinking a lot about my role in the network. And I've been thinking a lot about what my value prop is for people. I don't know how you feel about this or where you stand, but I actually found myself over the last 18 months reflecting and noticing where my interactions with people were going. Mm. And it's safe to say that friendships are different now. Um, like whether it was a close friend or a mid-tier acquaintance, I feel like the relationships are different. I mean, naturally, we were all in isolation and then we all kind of went on to Zoom and like there was this whole new way of becoming a friend. But I know I realized that I was becoming more selective. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe we mm. can harp on that a little bit. But like I was talking to more strangers, talking to more people at the dog park, talking mm. to my neighbors. And I feel like when it comes to the network in the past 18 months, it's been easier to simply end relationships. Hmm. And it's like, as if it's better, if it's done without providing a reason, people hmm. have this increased awareness of their mental health and their capacity for each day and the bandwidth that they have and what they can handle. And I feel like they're more comfortable putting up boundaries to save their energy. Hmm. And the pandemic in the last 18 months allowed people to be able to carve out the people that they want to surround themselves with. So given Dunbar's number and given that later in life, when people are really close to dying, they tend to regret a handful of things. And one of them might be the fact that they wish they had stronger and deeper relationships. And given all the science that shows the benefits of our health of having healthy relationships, my point is that it's really important to find those people as you journey through life. And you're going to go through tons of acquaintances, but along the way, the goal is to have an orbit of about 150 people that know you uh, inside and out and you know them inside and out. And so it's those types of types of tight relationships over the course of a lifetime that could set you up for success. Yeah. You only have so much time in the day and in the week and in your life ultimately. And if you're spending time or energy on people that you're not particularly close with or that maybe you've mentally moved on from, that's a drain and that's time that you could be spending deepening the relationship with people that you want to engage with. So in the interest of protecting yourself and the interest of directing your energy towards the people in your life that deserve it, you know, I think you almost have this kind of obligation um, to try to focus your energy on the people that you want to be around. Uh, it's it's yeah. hard sometimes, but it's the right thing to do. It's the hard right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that's where um, like the giving concept comes in. Mm. Because it's really interesting to think about this 150 in the context of something like segmenting your clients. Imagine if you're running a practice, you segment your clients, or if you're a salesperson covering a territory, it's all about trying to find and spend time with those top 150 relationships, which are different than, or they should be different than your top 150 acquaintances. I right. think with relationships, there's a concept of giving that comes in a lot more. Um, I've always loved this quote. I read it somewhere in college. It's you cannot take more away from the game than you put in. 
In other hmm. words, what you give is what you receive. And if you're out here trying to take more than you give to the game of life, then eventually that type of action and mindset is going to bite you. So in your best relationships, think about it. You give your best version of yourself and it gets reciprocated with their best version of themselves. And that's how a deep bond is formed. So to the point where you know each other well enough, where if life is happening and you miss each other and you're unable to maybe cross paths for a while, it's all good without hurt feelings because you know each other so well that you'll be able to pick up right where you left off the next time. So Mm -hmm. in the context of quote unquote, be the node, I think comes down to understanding your role in the network, understanding the value you bring. It's about how you act. It's about how much you're giving from giving a hug to giving advice, to giving a damn, to giving access to a network, to giving whatever you have. When you're giving, you're living. It's how you ground yourself while also elevating your life experience. Well, on that topic of giving access to your network as one way of giving and as one way of being the node, I mean, giving access to your network is like, I think, just a phenomenal example of how we can all be the node. I wanted to share one example from history where someone did just that, opened up their network for someone and the world benefited as a result. And I think most of us are familiar with the Beatles, one of the most successful music groups of all time. We're probably all familiar with the four members of the band, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. But a name probably none of us have ever heard of before that we all should be familiar with is Ivan Vaughn. Uh, because without Ivan Vaughn, the Beatles would very likely have never formed. So as the story goes... Back in the early 50s, Paul McCartney and George Harrison were attending the Liverpool Institute uh, for elementary school. They're only like 11 or 12 years old at the time. I didn't realize it, but reading about this, they were actually friends for almost their entire lives. Just a really cool side note. Uh, But they bonded heavily over their love of music. They became fast friends. They also went to school with a kid named Ivan Vaughn. And Ivan had a friend from another school, a couple towns over the Quarry Bank School. And that kid's name was John Lennon. So Ivan knew, Ivan, yeah, it's it's incredible. Ivan knew Paul to be a precocious young guitarist. Uh, He knew John was a musician as well. And John was interested in trying to book live shows in the area. So being the good friend that, that Ivan was, he gets the two of them together. They both bring their guitars. They play for each other. Paul's interested in John's guitar technique. He realizes he's only playing with four strings, which he finds pretty interesting. John thinks Paul is very talented as well. And he thinks he's looks like Elvis. He's good looking enough to be a front man. So the rest is history. That was kind of the start of the Beatles. Um, but so really for all of us that love their music, we owe a large debt of gratitude to Ivan Vaughn for being that node that connected Paul McCartney and John Lennon. And I think it's just a reminder of what can happen when you bring people together. You know, you never know what magic might come out of that. That's a wonderful story. I had no idea who Ivan Vaughn was, and now I do. Um, that's awesome. And I mean, there's so many stories of that. I mean, I'll just say that uh, the one thing I'll add around this part of the conversation is um, a podcast that I heard recently. It's the Go to Market Grid podcast. And, um, you know, it's a show where they interview people in the startup world, the SaaS world, the VC world. And it's really a podcast for leaders. And in a recent episode with Scott Jones, who is the CEO of a company called Incorda, both of them spend tons of time talking about how their network helped them to get to the spots they sit in today and the power of having a strong professional network. And it's just a great overall conversation. So, yeah, I mean, like shout out to Ivan Vaughn for being the node for the Beatles. <laughs> and, you know, for more examples, 
that go to market grit podcast episode is something I would check out. Yeah, that's great. One other uh, idea I wanted to throw out there too is that being the node isn't necessarily always about connecting people. Uh, Sometimes it's about connecting ideas or disciplines or styles. When I was thinking this week about who is a great example of someone who's been the node, Quentin Tarantino actually came to mind for me, the legendary film director. For those that don't know, he was a huge fan of movies his whole life. He grew up in Los Angeles. He worked at a video rental store in Manhattan Beach. He just consumed massive amounts of movies in his early years. And if you ever watch interviews with him, it's obvious he's a huge movie buff. He makes references to all these esoteric films that most of us have never heard of. And he knows them like the back of his hand. And his signature as a director was really being able able to take all these different elements, all these different genres and blend them together into a style that became something truly unique. So he took the the great works of the filmmakers that came before him and reinvented them into something that had never been done before. You look at a movie like Pulp Fiction, you know, it was part gangster, it was part French New Wave, it was part Grindhouse. You had the henchman played by Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, wisecracking about popular culture and their dialogue together. No one had really had ever done anything like that before. Um, in the famous dance sequence at Jack Rabbit Slims between John Travolta and Uma Thurman, uh, Quentin Tarantino actually instructed Uma Thurman to borrow dance moves from one of the cats in that animated movie, Aristocats. It's just the kind of eye he had to be able to borrow these little moments from movies that made an impression on him and spin it all together. To connect, to connect those dots, be that node, and create something new that was wholly his own. So I think another way of being the node as a creative type is just either taking genres or formats or styles or artistic ideas and seeing how you can connect them together in new ways, whether it's Quentin Tarantino in film or Kanye West in music, you know, blending hip-hop and gospel or Philip K. Dick in literature, creating the whole cyberpunk genre. I'm sure it will continue to happen in art moving forward, but for anyone out there that is maybe that kind of creative type or wants to start a podcast and they have, they like one style of uh, format and like another style of format. And they're thinking, Hey, these, these two things have never been brought together just by being that node and connecting those dots. You have the opportunity to create something new that uh, the world may really latch onto. You just defined why we started this thing, bro. Remember that. (laughs) So, I mean, and for anyone who just pressed play because they wanted to discover something fascinating so they could bring some big ideas to their small talk, first of all, thank you. And uh, so think about it. What could you bring up now? You could bring up Dunbar's number, talk about how it originated, talk about what it means, talk about how it's used in social media networks, talk about how it applies to graph databases. Um, Think about it in the context of your relationships with your family or friends think about in the context of your relationships with your clients you know bring up dunbar's number in your next manager meeting and talk about how you're trying to get to 150 relationships and just see how that goes um you can bring up who ivan vaughn was ask somebody do you know who ivan vaughn was and see Mm -hmm. where that goes you can bring up how the pandemic affected friendships and the types of friends you have. And maybe that's something that makes you relatable to the person that you're actually having a conversation with. And maybe you ask them like, hey, how have you been dealing with dwindling friendships? Or how do you go about constructing you know, time and figuring out who you want to hang out with and see where that conversation's going? 
maybe you can ask someone like what they feel is the value they bring to people's lives and see how they actually react to that and how they respond and somehow link that to how networks bring us all to the places we end up. So there's literally so much that you could use to create a tighter bond with somebody. I really hope you try to bring it into your conversation and see what happens. That's what this is all about. Connecting the dots, seeing what happens. It's pretty magical. And, um, you know, we appreciate you spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, you can sign up for the Rising Weekly newsletter sent out each week. Every Friday, we expand on the episode with insights, recommendations, and more. You can sign up at risingladderly.com. Thank you.